Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Truck. Uh, joined as usual by Kuka Hill. You can find him on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. He is a site expert at PistonPower.com. And we've got a special guest today, Rod Beard of the Detroit News. Uh, he's, of course, the Detroit News' beat writer for the Detroit Pistons. You can find him on Twitter at DET News Rod Beard. So at DET News Rod Beard. Uh, we're going to hop right into it today. So obviously, the main thing we want to talk about here is the draft that happened uh, this past weekend. Uh, the Pistons. Upset some people, made a lot of people really happy, though, drafting Seko Dumboya. I don't know for sure if I'm pronouncing that right yet or not. Um, but they drafted him 15th overall, the player out of France, um, born in Guinea. And then they also drafted Davidas Savidas, maybe? Or Savidas yeah, in the second round? That's All it. Right. Davidas Savidas? Um, oh, yeah, All right. Davidas Savidas. It just rolls right off the tongue. And uh, then at the very end of the draft, they sent a probably not going to convey second round pick to Philly for um, Jordan Bone out of Tennessee. So I think to start us off, uh, Rod, just sort of any general thoughts about the draft and sort of everything that happened. um, And then we can get into any specifics after that. Well, I, I think at 15, they were looking in a completely different direction. And they talked about there was already dropped out. Oh. They, they talked about there was a plan A, and then at some point it just changed when they saw that Sekou was there for them. Uh, so I, I want to see who that plan A was, if it happened to be um, Kelton Johnson or, or somebody else. Romeo Langford had already gone. So it, it's interesting just to think about what the possibilities were. But the fact that Sekou dropped to them and they took him along with Servetus in the second round sends more of the message that they're not – putting everything in a basket to try to compete right now during Blake's three-year window that's left. It means they're going to try to have a foot in both sides of it. They're going to, if these guys develop and they're able to compete now, that's fine. But they're looking more toward after uh, Blake's contract is up anyway. And, And maybe they'll bring Blake back for another contract after this one. Who knows? But they're not really looking at we need immediate guys who are going to help right now. They're looking at both the long term and the short term. And uh, one of the things that really shocked me, um, we heard a rumor about this on draft night, but then um, I don't remember if it was you or if it was Vince who had it in one of their in one of you guys' pieces, but that the Pistons had Seco fifth overall on their draft board, which is really remarkable. So they have to be pretty thrilled with being able to pick him if they had him that high on their board. Right, and that, that's what changes your draft plan is if you – and there was a story about Dwayne Casey and Ed Stefanski and some guys going over to uh, his pro day, Sekou's uh, pro day in Dallas, and everyone came away amazed and wowed. He, they said he hit 17 three-pointers in a row. Um, and they just left resigned to the fact that he wouldn't be there, that this wouldn't even be a choice that they would have to worry about. But just the way that top 10 started to go, you kind of knew who the top five, top six players would be. The order might have been a little bit different. But then after that, it was just really a crapshoot of, of where teams would go. I, I had seen Dumbuya mocked to the Wizards, to um, Atlanta, to any number of teams. And so now it, it just was a, a plan that they had it turned into something different and i think they're happy to have him because they see what the higher ceiling is for him than maybe some of the other options then in a seer little that was on a lot of people's um 
mock drafts going to the Pistons or Kevin Porter Jr. The ceiling might be a little bit higher, and it's a kid who's 18 years old. He may not even be done growing. We don't. That's still hard to tell, and he's six nine now. Yeah. So I think with Dumboya, one of the main questions I would wonder about that would impact at least this coming season. Um, obviously him playing this coming season or not is not the priority, right? This is a longer term pick, but obviously people also want to know whether or not there's much chance. And it's, do we think that he's going to have a good shot to survive as a small forward in the near term? Because I know most people project him forward as being a power forward, but obviously as long as Blake stays healthy, there's not going to be a whole lot of minutes there. But if he can play small forward, then, I mean, unless they sign somebody big, which they can't really sign anyone that big, there's very likely to be minutes available there given the state of the Pistons' wing rotation. So do you think he's going to be able to play a little small I think he can play a, little, play a little bit of both, and that's the hope, is if you can put it together with popsicle sticks and have Bruce Brown play some, some we'll call it small forward, then you can have Sekou do some of it too. And he's more known defensively uh, than what he's done offensively so far. So I think you can plug him in just for the size component, if nothing else, that you can have a longer, rangier guy to guard your Chris Middletons, to guard your um, your bigger guys. Even like a Clay Thompson who was six seven, you just didn't have a guy who really fit and who really was a, a good size matchup for him. Well, that's something that Koo has talked about almost endlessly ever since they traded his favorite player, Stanley Johnson. Uh, that And it was, particularly after the deadline, because not only Stanley, but when they trade away Reggie Bullock, he's another guy, he's like, what, 6'7 yeah. or so, and he's not necessarily a great defender, but he at least gave that extra size. It was a huge blind spot for them after that trade. So um, I would say that, you know, between Dumboya and also trading for Tony Snell, um, you know, they've, they've now given themselves some of that length. Uh, Tony Snell's not necessarily a particularly high-level defender. He's decent. Um, it'd be unfair to expect Dumboya to be much better than decent as an 18-year-old rookie. Uh, but at the very least, they do have people who sort of meet the physical requirements there. And, you know, since I've touched on it, I may as well. Um, what did you think about the the trade of John Luer for Tony Snell and the 30th pick? And, like, that kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people other than you. You actually less than like 24 hours before I think right you tweeted I wonder what it would take to get the bucks to get to get Tony Snell from the bucks yeah and it seemed like one of those it's a good fit and it's it's a guy who plays a role that wouldn't be significantly costly and it would seem like the the sort of guy they would want in free agency um that they might be able to get with the mid-level exception except Snell made 11 point he's making 11.4 11.7 whatever it is um, and the mid-level is just 9.2, so they couldn't fit that there. But if they could go out and trade for that type of guy and not give up a ton to do it, again, it addresses that small forward need that it looked like they needed two to three small forwards um, to, to really stock up the roster the way they wanted to because you don't want to masquerade Luke Kennard there or Bruce Brown there for very long. So they needed to, but in Snell and Dumbuya – uh, Servetus looks more like a guy that they're going to try to draft and stash maybe for a year um, that they address that need of, of bigger guys, longer range guys and, and longer armed guys who could play that position. But I like Snell. I like the deal that you give up what was going to be an asset in John Lewis expiring contract. You've got another one in Galloway and another one in J- Reggie Jackson 
But those, I think, were, were roster needs that could help you. Lure probably wasn't going to do very much of anything on this roster, especially with Don Maker playing pretty much the same position in the same role. And they really need to see what Don has so they can decide what they want to do with him long term, too. So it's been one of the hallmarks of this front office to take an expiring contract or a smaller asset and to turn it into something else that they get a better look at. And you mentioned the Bullock trade. You mentioned the Stanley Johnson trade. Those are both expiring contracts that they weren't going to get anything from. But they turn it into speed. They turn it into fine. They turn it into uh, another second round pick also. But now you turn lure into um, Snell and a first round pick that you flip again and get some more assets out of. That's what I think the front office is doing best right now is taking lemons and turning into lemonade or taking expiring contracts and turning it at least into some kind of young asset that you can see maybe what you've got there. And then with lure, I guess the one question I would have that maybe you could give a little more insight on is that um, obviously he didn't play last season really at all. He played a couple of times in meaningful minutes, but largely he didn't. Um, Do you think that his ineffectiveness this past season or lack of playing time was very closely connected to him just not being all the way back in game shape because he had a bunch of issues with injuries. He wasn't, he didn't even, he wasn't even all the way healthy at the start of the season yet, I don't think. So I guess basically now, look, even if this is true, I think this is the right move to make. But do you think that there's a chance that John Lure with a full healthy offseason, he comes back next season for, I think the Bucks might just wave him. But regardless, if he plays somewhere, is there a chance he comes back healthy next season and actually plays okay? And it's like, well, maybe it would have been okay to hold on to him. I'm just a little bit curious about that. Or is he just kind of done? I think there's a a small chance of that because that foot injury really did mess up his uh, previous season, not last season, but 2017-18, where he just played eight games and then came back and just wasn't. But the, the, the injury was so mysterious, they didn't really know what the nature of it was. They thought it was one thing. They thought it was something else. It ended up being bone spurs. And so that's what caused him what seemed to be just a sprain and then just kept swelling. He missed the entire season. And last year, I think it was more of almost like Reggie Jackson, that Reggie Jackson didn't come back until January where he was his his full basketball speed, uh, 100 percent health and full burst of everything. It takes a while for that to happen. So, yeah, I think in the offseason, Lure can get a little bit healthier. I just don't know how much he's, he was going to contribute. Again, given what Don Maker's situation is and playing behind Blake Griffin, was Lure going to be a backup center option? Probably not. And at power forward, there's just a log jam there now, especially with Dumbuya, especially with Maker, and trying to give those young guys a chance. Okay. Um, cool. I've been kind of doing all that question asking. You want to get anything in here real quick? <laughs> He's probably not. Here no, my my mic's messing up again, but I'll just use it like this. Um, Rod, I just had a question. Actually, not a question. I just needed you to uh, do something for me real quick. Um, as you, I'm assuming that you know this as well. There's a lot of fans that were just like begging for Kevin Porter Jr. I believe you're the one who tweeted this, I retweeted it, and then I echoed it to my same friends who were spazzing about it. Can you just go over the fact that Kevin Porter Jr. was not there once, but twice for the Pistons, and they passed on him? So obviously they just didn't want him. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely the case. And if, if you can look at it from a broader scope and say he was projected as a probably somewhere between 10 and 15 talent. And the fact that he dropped all the way down to 30 
says something also. And and all the intel that I got said that there were numerous red flags on Kevin Porter. And that was um, something that started in the draft process before the draft process started. People said there were issues there and he was suspended from uh, USC. And the talent is there, but it's it's what people don't want to do is take chances on a first round pick that you're paying guaranteed money to. And maybe that's why Cleveland waited until 30. So you can, you're doing the lowest level of risk in a guaranteed contract and what you would give him. I think the talent is there. I think he's a good player, but that's just not something you want to mess around with when there's one red flag or two red flags. Fine. But when there are numerous red flags and that many teams pass on them, it just tells you that there is some significant risk there that half of the league at least didn't want to make. All right. Well, yeah, I also have another question. Uh, you mentioned it earlier about Davida Cervetas. Oh, uh, I think I said that right. I'm not sure. But um, you said something about them wanting to draft and stash him. Uh, I believe you tweeted a couple of days ago that they expect him and Dubio. Duboya, however you however you say it, uh, to play in the summer league. Uh, if he plays in the summer league, does that mean that they can they still stash him overseas, or are they expecting to be on the roster if he plays in the summer league? I think it, it's it still is a lot to be seen. I think they want to have him on the summer league roster just to take a look at him, but that could mean he plays with the drive or whatever we're calling the G League team now, and then um, he could go back over and again take another year to get seasoned and to get. Um, ready to play in the NBA. I don't get the sense that they ha- they expect him to play on the Pistons roster next season. I think they they will stash him somewhere, either in the G League or back over in Lithuania. Um, Dumbuya, obviously, I think he is going to play. All right. That's all I got for this little topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Uh, so – one thing that I'm curious about, Rod, is so a lot of people, I would say even more so than the Seco pick, which by and large people who really seem to be paying attention liked that pick, I think. Um, and even some of the people who weren't necessarily fans of it right away sort of warmed up to it. Um, I know Halbredius, who we had on the podcast before the draft, he was not a big fan of it at the time, but he's since started to come around on it. But one thing that even... Uh, I guess you could say a decent number of people who I think are not just stupid were questioning a little bit is the way that the second round ended up playing out. It was pretty strange how it went from, so you trade the 30th pick for four future second rounders to the Cavs, or not all of them are way in the future, but, and then you trade two of those to move up to get um, Savitas. Uh, just did they just really zero in on that Savitas was the guy that they wanted out of the second round, and so they decided this is worth this? Is that pretty much what it is? Well, it, it felt like that, and this is my my reading of the situation. I haven't gotten this confirmed at all, but I think they thought Servetus would be there at 45, and so when they made the trade and they got the four picks, they felt like, hey, we'll get both guys that we want. Because if they want a draft and stash guy that they don't have to pay right now, that fits into everything else that they the, – the, the overall plan, it would seem. So if you think you're going to get him at 45, you're good. And then you find out somebody else wants him at 38, 39, 40, let's say. Well, then you've got to switch your plan and you've got to trade up and you've got to do whatever you can to make sure that you get the guy that you, you marked at that point. And so – that's when you look and you say, well, why are they trading up eight spots to get a guy that 
for the most part, most people didn't know about, didn't think would be there. That tells you that they really like Servitas. If they're going to give up that much, they gave up the 45 and two of those um, draft picks, those second round picks, to get the guy that was only eight spots up. Nobody else was trading around like that in the second round. So they really, really like Servitas is the only explanation that makes sense. They really like him and they must have found out somebody else was interested in him or looking at him or something because you wouldn't give up that much for one guy to move up just eight picks to do it. That was just, that was strange to me and weird to me. But the people I've talked to about Servetus have said they really like his skill set. And from the video and stuff that I've looked at, he looks like a 6'8 Luke Kennard and, and plays that same similar style. Hey, if you get another one of those guys, why not? It's, it's absolutely worth it. So those are where the pieces start to come together for me, that maybe he's not ready to contribute right now on, a, in, on an NBA roster, but give him another year of seasoning, another year of training, uh, and, and he could come in and be a guy who, who gets into that playing rotation for the Pistons. Okay. Um, and then – I guess now for its worth, I do think that this is the correct way to do it. Like if you've got a guy that you want and you really believe in, you should go get him. I fully believe that, but they did the same thing, not exactly the same thing, but they traded up in the second round last summer as well to draft Kyrie Thomas. And it's sort of, you know, two, two drafts in a row, you draft up in the second round is not something you usually see that often. So it kind of shows that you know, just the way that this front office works and sort of approaches things, at least when it comes to the draft, is they very clearly have their guys that they want and they're willing to go get them. And I think that's a little bit of a a difference from which, for what it's worth, this might be, be one of the best things you could say about this approach, is that it's a different approach from, I think, the way that Stan Van Gundy kind of approached it, where it seemed more so for them, they had their draft board and they just sort of drafted whoever was highest available still on their board. But do you think that um, that's an approach here that this front office is making that is going to pay off long term? Because obviously, if a, if you miss on a guy like that, you gave up a bunch of extra assets to miss on a guy. Well, I, I think when you look at the first round, even there weren't clear cut guys that were going to help immediately that unless you were getting Zion, RJ or, or John Morant there wasn't a guy who was going to come in first day and just change the way that you did things. So at 15, you, you, you want, you have a plan, you want a guy, you end up getting Sekou that changes it. But if you had him that high on your draft board and, and much higher is what they said, much higher than where they were picking, they just didn't think he would be available for them. So in the second round, the same sort of thing, there's a guy that you really want, you really covet for his skill set. The second round really is literally a crapshoot on any of these guys and whether they're going to pan out. So if you're going to Lithuania, if your international scouts are telling you that this guy is is the truth and that deal that you really want to have him on your roster. Yeah, you do whatever you can. You identify a specific guy who you think is better than the other guys and you go out and get him. And so Carson Edwards, um, uh Rudy Fernando. I mean, those guys are, or Bruno Fernando, sorry. Um, those guys are there, but I would think that they could help immediately, but they have more intel on what they can do and what they can't do than necessarily they're communicating. So I don't necessarily know all of the um, ins and outs of those things, but from what they did with Servetus, it tells me that they really liked him and they were going to do whatever it took to go and get him. 
And I'm once again, I do think that like, look, even if these end up being the wrong picks, right? If several years from now, Seco never becomes anything, Savitas never, you know, even if they fail, I mean, if you're a front office and you can't believe in all of the work that you do pre-draft, I mean, what are you even doing, right? Yeah. So I do agree with that approach that if you really believe that strongly in a guy that, you know, even in the second round where once again, just like you said, it is a total crapshoot in the second round every single year. You're maybe going to get like in the whole of the second round, there might be seven or eight guys who even become like viable rotation players. So, you know, it's it's a risk, but I do think that's the risk that you have to take because if you can't believe in all the work you're doing, then what's even the point of doing all that work beforehand? Um, so, I don't know, Koo, do you have anything else you want to say about the draft? Otherwise, we can start moving on to some Summer League and free agency stuff. Nope, I'm ready to get into Summer League. <laughs> okay. You got something you want to say about Summer League there, Koo? I just want to get a prediction out of Rod. Rod, do you think we're going to win the, the Summer League championship? You, you got to <laughs> tell me who the, who the big men are. I don't have a good sense, um, besides Benny Boatwright, I don't know who's playing center. I mean, it could be anybody. So, if... I hate trying to handicap summer league anyway, but I think the Pistons have a good roster that even if it's not about winning it, it's more about seeing what these guys have. And so with Bruce Brown, with Kyrie Thomas, with Sekou, with Servetus, if he plays with Jordan bone, with Svi, you've got six guys that you can see what you have there, which is much more than they've had in the past four or five years in terms of summer league and seeing what's there. They they might have one of the more talented depth-filled rosters in summer league and given who they're playing in the first couple of rounds, I think they can they can do pretty well. They they won't get eliminated uh like they did last year very early. Okay, and then I got I got another question before Joe goes in. Uh, I already asked you about uh, Davidas earlier, but th- let's just say this hypothetical. Let's say Davidas shows up in the summer league and just starts sparking it, just starts dominating. He looks like a demon. He's just, he's he's balling out there. Is there any pathway to him getting on the Pistons roster this year, or is that already like they've already decided? They, if they wow. if they see him cut up this summer league, they'll be happy about it. But the plan already is he's either going to stash overseas or the G League. Well, I think it, it just depends on, on what it looks like. I think the, the plan going in is to stash him. And even if he has, I mean, because Svi did the same thing last year in summer league with the Lakers was uh, just tear it up. But it, it's just going to be how that fits together. And if there's a spot for him, and I think it's either him or Svi, if you're talking about a developmental guy who's going to get a roster spot, uh, it would be one or the other. And, and Svi, I think you can still put him in Summer League if you want to, or not in Summer League, in G League if you want to for quite a bit and let him develop there. But I think it's just going to be, I don't expect that to come from Servitas, but if it does, that's a good problem to have either way. And so you, because you just brought it up, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you is, so Svi would be the most obvious candidate for this to potentially happen to, but... Um, do you think that there's a chance that any of the Pistons young guys, mostly it'd be Sfee, maybe Kyrie Thomas, but I doubt it. But do you think there's any chance that any of those guys don't make the roster this year? No, I, th- I think they're they're pretty solid and pretty set. That Because um, it's going to affect also what your wiggle room is in terms of the cap. And they're at a point now that they can't waste a million here or a couple hundred thousand there. If you've only got the mid-level exception, the biannual exception, 
and a little bit of room right below the um, below the cap the the text line. You can't just mess around with a million here or two million there. It's too critical. And I think they like all of their young guys. They see them as developmental opportunities, especially uh, Svee, that at the trade deadline when he came in, you're having to learn a new system. You're having to um, figure things out on the fly. It was just too hard. And Dwayne Casey said at some point, he's just too far behind the game right now that Kyrie Thomas and Bruce Brown were too far ahead. It's like a kid who transfers in the middle of a school year and you go to a new school and you're just too far behind to, to, to just take off the way that you want to. But in everything that I've seen that Spee's done with um, three-on-three stuff that they do after practice, with um, just working out, he has the body style and type. He has the skill set where he can be very, very good. So I think this is as important a summer for him as it is for any of those guys. And Bruce Brown developing a jump shot or a three-point shot and hitting that with some more frequency – is a big, important priority, but Svee and what he does in Summer League, I think, is going to tell a lot about what these young guys can do. Uh, so, Rod, another question, Joe. You can go ask. Uh, let me get this in. Um, uh, Rod, do you think that either of – do you think either Boatwright or King, the two undrafted uh, free agents we signed, do you think either, either of them have a legitimate shot to actually make the roster, or do you think both of them are just – you know, we're just going to watch them in the summer league and see them fade away. Well, I think Boatwright um, just has a chance. He may just be a summer guy, but I, everything I've heard about him has been good, is that he's an effective scorer, an efficient scorer, a good big man that you can have at least for depth. And even if they just decide to put him in Grand Rapids on just a G League contract, there might be other teams that come knocking. But again, that could be a guy that if he has a really good uh, summer league and he really shows that he can do something, I mean, maybe you, you don't know what the possibilities are for um, King. I think just on a two way contract, he gets a little bit more priority there, a little bit more preferential treatment because of that two way that other teams can't come and draft him and touch him. So um, between King and Bone on those two way contracts, those are the guys that are kind of the tweeners that you have to figure out what they've got. And summer league is going to be the best opportunity for them to do that. And, well, with Boatwright, um, the main thing that gives him an advantage is that he's a center and the Pistons do need a backup and third center, hypothetically at least. Uh, so there is a spot there. So I'd think that if he does really impress in the summer league and in training camp and such, I would definitely think that he'll have a – at least he'll get a fair shot to get a roster spot, I would say, just because he plays a position of need. And just because Koo brought this up, um, and you touched that too, Rod, but – so because they signed him and then um, there's a couple other guys that they've signed to a contract like this too, um, if they want to keep them all the way through training camp and then cut them, uh, they will be the only G- – only the drive will be the only G League team that can take them. They're called affiliate players. So that's one of the reasons why you sign guys, these younger guys, to, uh, to contracts early in the summer and keep them through – training camp, even if you don't think they're going to make the team, because then you can make sure that they go to your G League team and they can sort of be in your system. Uh, there's a few guys that they've done that with the past few years, but that if he doesn't make the team, that would be at least hypothetically the idea behind right. it. So, Kudi, you got anything else you wanted to put in there? No. Me? Oh, I thought you were trying to watch still. No, I'm good. Okay. Um, so then, looking forward to coming free agency then. 
there's been some sort of conflicting reports about where the Pistons are going to use um, what tools they have. So obviously they have no cap space. They're going to have the mid-level exception and the biannual exception, um, depending on whether or not, assuming they do uh, stash Savitas, they will have almost enough to use both of those fully if they want to. Um, the big one, obviously, is the mid-level exception. Do we think that they're going to use that on a wing or a point guard? Because there's been some conflicting reports about which way they're leaning. I'm going to say they're going to try to look at both and say, um, hey, let's let's. can you get a Seth Curry? Maybe. Can you, get, can you figure out a way that you're going to get um, a serviceable player to slide in there? Is this Smith coming back? Um, those are the big questions, I think, is is how much of that are you going to need to use? Is there a wing that would satisfy that? At worst, then you, you're going in with Tony Snell and Sekou as your threes and and, and Mihailuk as the third um, wing back there. That's not terrible, but you'd love to get another big scoring wing as an option in there. If not, Derrick Rose might be your top guy that you're looking at. And it, I think it depends also on how the rest of free agency shakes out and what ends up in the bargain bin that you didn't expect to be there. Cause you're, you're not going to go out and get Malcolm Brockton. That's not happening. You're not getting a Tobias Harris. You're not getting any of the bigger names or the second tier names. Even you're probably not going to get, but somebody that falls down to you that thought they were getting a big payday and they might settle for eight or 9 million, I think is, is more of what the Pistons are looking for. So, Rod, I just I just need you to repeat that one more time for everybody. <laughs> just, oh, repeat, no. just repeat that one more time for everybody listening. Who was the guy you just said that could could end up with the Pistons? In a fantasy land, Derrick Rose. <clears throat> Go ahead, Joe. I mean, look, we courtesy of my co-hosts, we talk about Derrick Rose plenty. So unless Rod specifically has something he wants to add on about Derrick Rose, I don't think we nope, need to. Nope, you don't need to. That's all I needed. <sighs> okay. Um, it's an option. It could happen. But, again, it just depends on how the rest of the market shakes out and if teams just end up paying a little bit too much for other guys and then you're just sitting there wondering what's in the bargain bin. Oh, look at that. It's Derrick Rose. Yeah. Well, so here's a question sort of tied into that that I would have. And it's also, to be honest, it's almost a little bit of a worry for me about this free agency is that um, I know that certainly Dwayne Casey has talked about that out of the point guard spot, he'd like to get a more, quote, traditional point guard, which is more pass first and that sort of thing, um, which would make Derrick Rose not necessarily his first option, for instance. And I'm not a big fan of that for – a couple of reasons, most notably that the reality is that almost all good point guards today are not pass first point guards per se. But beyond that is that what this bench unit really will need in all likelihood is another guy who can create for himself. And so do you think that the, the sort of pass first guy is a thing that's probably going to be the way that they will lean? Or is that just kind of Dwayne Casey being a coach saying, I'd like a point guard who's a good passer? Yeah, I, I think that changes. That's a moving target, given what that second unit looks like now. Is Luke Kennard there, um, or does he move into a starting role? Um, because if you've got Bruce Brown, you probably need a guy who's going to create somewhere on that second group. Tony Snell isn't a creator. So it, I think you, you 
you look at what is going to happen. Is Kyrie Thomas going to show that he can play some point guard? Is Bruce Brown going to play some point guard? Is Svee going to play some point guard or handle a little bit more? Because those were all names that were thrown out as guys who could assume some point guard responsibilities. Is Ish Smith going to come back? Because I think he is a guy who excels in that sort of role, but he just he was very inconsistent. It looked like he always tried to contribute what that group needed at that time. And if his shot wasn't falling, he wasn't as valuable, certainly. And they need his shot to fall. His, certainly from three, maybe in the higher 30s, mid to high, mid, mid, more mid or higher 30, say 38, 39%. We'll call that the high 40s. But um, what else do you have in that second group? What kind of center do you have? Do you have a pick and roll center in that second group that, that can work well with a creator? Um I, I think that's a big question mark is who exactly is going to be at the back end of that rotation and in that second group. And do they choose to go 10 deep or do you have to have Blake or Andre on the court all the time because that second unit is so devoid of scoring talent? Those are just, I, I think, questions, some of which you can figure out in summer league, but some of which are going to have to be um, just in free agency and figuring out what you've got there. Well, you know, because you brought up Ish Smith, that's kind of an interesting question with him because he is the one guy on the roster, well, the one free agent, that they'll have his full bird rights. So if they did really want to bring him back, they can. Um, do you think that there's a good chance that they were to retain him? Because there hasn't been, at least that I've seen, and obviously they like him. He's been a pretty decent player for the Pistons for a few years now. He's a good locker room guy by everything I've heard. But, you know, is he a guy that you think that they're really – thinking about bringing back or are they kind of like well hypothetically we could but we kind of want to go somewhere else i think it's more of the second one that that they would love to bring him back but they're going to look at the other options i mean in a, in a general sense would you rather have seth curry or ish smith i think most people would say seth curry would you rather have derrick rose or ish smith most people would probably say derrick rose i think they'll just look at the market for right now and see if they're able to upgrade at the position at a reasonable cost, because, again, cost is going to be the biggest factor in this. If you can um, improve at the wing position and kind of tape things together or paperclip things together at point guard, you'll be fine. But again, we've seen with Ishmith out what that second unit looks like. And so that's going to be the bigger priority, I think, is solidifying point guard and then figuring out if you can get a better wing. Okay. Well, I'm I, me and Coor are not. I'm we both like Dish, but we're I think we're both pretty much ready to see someone else as the backup point guard. Just I'm ready to say goodbye to him. <laughs> uh, yeah, who is just outright ready for him to be gone? But yeah, so um, on the on the wing, you brought up Kyrie Thomas a moment ago. He seems to me like a guy that if the Pistons really need one guy to show up this season ready to play. He seems like he would be the guy because he would open up a lot of options for them. So, for instance, I think he would be a guy who his hypothetical version, at least if he's ready to go, um, who could be a starter and work well. And then you can have Luke be that sixth man role that he was so good in last season. And if he doesn't do if Kyrie Thomas isn't ready to go, it seems almost like, you know, they'll kind of have to make a choice between starting Luke and risking that and then also having like no offense off the bench or, you know, putting Bruce Brown back in the starting lineup, which may or may not work because he probably can't shoot still, hypothetically. So just he seems like a guy who they really kind of could – they almost need him to break out. Do you think that that's a true statement? 
Yeah, I, I think any of those guys. I mean, it, what, what if Bruce comes back and he shoots 35, 38% from three? Does that change the complexion of, of, of how we view things? I think so. If Svee can be um, everything that he looks like in a, a knockdown shooter, a guy who can um, create his own shot, does that change what we think? Yeah, I think there are a lot of different opportunities for guys to change what that bench complexion looks like. And what do we see from Seku? Any of those guys can really change that outlook and what we see from the starting unit and even what we see from the reserve unit. Because Bruce could start, Seku could start, Luke could start. And that domino effect is going to change how both of those groups look. But no, to your point, I agree that, that Kyrie is a guy who could really do it his development could could help their depth in a couple of different positions in the starting group and in the reserve group. So, yeah, I do agree with that. And then another thing on Kyrie is that so he had some nothing like super major, but he also had some injury issues early last season, which um, a lot of people have pointed to as a reason why Bruce Brown ended up getting into the rotation before him because Kyrie was sort of a step behind as a result of that. Um, do you think that there's a better chance for him to jump into the rotation this season because I hopefully at least he doesn't get hurt at all in summer league or anything like that. So he's more ready to go. Yeah. It's just a question of where though, because if, if Bruce is occupying that spot, then what are you doing? Where, where do you, where can you put Kyrie? And maybe as that third point guard and maybe as the, the other uh, shooting guard back there, it, it, I think if you look at all of these young guys from last season and you rank them, I think Kyrie might be the lowest one on that list because of his size and because of um, just where he fits. If he's not going to be a point guard, then how far behind those other guys is he? Is he behind Langston Galloway still? Svi, I think, just given the opportunity, can jump right ahead of Galloway because of that versatility and because of that big body size and body type that you, you can use him on the wing a little bit differently. But if you, you rank all of those guys, I think Kyrie has the, the, the most um, ground to make up just because of the injury, just because of his size. And, and there were some games that he played fairly well, but he's going to need a lot more of that if he's going to crack the rotation this year. I think we lost him. Oh, there he went. Um, I'm just going to – I think – oh, wait, he's back in already. Okay. <laughs> You dropped off for a second there, Rod. Wow, which part did you get? Uh, you were just saying that he there were some games that he was playing through hurt or something like okay, that. Okay, yeah, and there, there were some games that, that Kyrie Thomas played fairly well, but he's going to need to show a lot more of that if he's going to break into the rotation and be a factor this year because, again, they're starting to build that depth at a couple of different positions, especially on the wing now, that um, playing time is not going to be easy to come by. Yeah. Um, so you were trying to get out of here pretty quick here. So, Koo, do you have any last questions for Rod? I just want to thank Rod for bringing up Derrick Rose first. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 don't. I just want everyone to know that I was not the one who brought up Derrick Rose. It was Rod. What is the opposite of thank? Because that's what I would like to do for Rod for bringing up Derrick Rose first. You you gotta how about this? You gotta give Koo something just to hang on to, some some thread just to hang on to. Yeah. Now I'll just say this: if the Pistons sign Derrick Rose, 
I'm gonna have Rod. I'm gonna ask Rod to come back on here, and I'm gonna throw a party, and it's gonna be a good little. It's gonna be a good little Q and A with me talking to Joe. Actually, you talk about how oh, who you want to host a pod? If the Pistons sign Derrick Rose, I'm hosting a pod. I'm good with that. And I'm good with that. Strangely, I will. I will not be on the podcast for that one. That's all. <laughs> no, Joe, you can't. Help you. you can have your own podcast to do that for. <laughs> Yeah, that works. Okay. I'm um, good with it. All right. Yeah. And look, we've talked about this. Trolling aside, I wouldn't hate signing Derrick Rose if, as long as he's not too expensive just because for everything that's wrong with his game, he can still break down a defense. And as I said earlier, the Pistons, particularly their bench, they could use another guy who can do that, and that's something that he can do. So, Rod, if you've got anything you want to close yourself off with here, you can. Otherwise, thanks for coming on. No, I think it's just going to be an interesting summer, and it, it feels more like um, they're bracing for next summer. Again, when when Reggie's contract comes off, when Langston Galloway's comes off, and when, goodness, Josh Smith comes off, so we can stop talking about that one. Yeah. Um, but it could be a different setup that the free agency market is, isn't going to be as robust next summer, but it might be a time that they can jump back in and try to do something and maybe not even just signing a free agent, but making trades to be able to absorb some cap space instead of just kind of sitting on the sidelines and waiting for other teams to act. All right, cool. Thanks for coming on. Rod. Hey, anytime. We guys. will let you go on. With your day. All right. All right. Appreciate Thanks, Rod. All right. Yeah. And, I mean, cool. We can just keep going. You got anything else you want to talk about? I mean, we we had him for like forty minutes there, so I'd say let's talk about the Derrick Rose thing. But we have, we legitimately have talked about the possibility of Derrick Rose. Ad no, I'll just, no, we don't have to talk about him. I just wanted everybody here to understand that I didn't even bring up Derrick. I had no intentions of bringing up Derrick Rose. Nothing. I I didn't bring him up. It was Rod. So that's how you know. That's how you know that who's not on here just being biased, like Joe, like all these people would have you believe. It's actually a thing. Okay. So I guess here's what we can do here, real quick. Okay. Um, how about you say? We'll both just say what's the thing that Rod said. Main thing that you want to make another comment on, Koo. Like just one thing from what we learned here. Um. I mean, I guess I'm not sure because a lot of the things that Rod said, at least from my questions, were things that I had already I, I had a I I was expecting that answer, but I wanted to get it confirmed. Like the uh, like I was really interested in Davidas and the two undrafted free agents, and I just I just wanted to know whether um, the undrafted free agents actually would like were they actually going to look at them and get a roster spot? I guess I guess he kind of answered that with. Um, King will have more of a priority over Boatwright, which I guess would be interesting. But, I mean, nothing really from my questions. I kind of expected the answers he gave. I just wanted it to be confirmed. Um, the big one to me is that they are pretty committed to uh, to all of the young guys making the roster. So I was legitimately curious about whether or not Svi was – if there was a chance that he was going to get cut this offseason – um, just because they could stand to now, I don't know for sure if his contract has already become guaranteed. Uh, that's usually sometime in June or July that that happens. But I just I would not have been shocked given the fact that 
Um, he didn't really make an impact last season at all. He didn't even play that much for the drive, and he played pretty well for the drive, but not outstandingly. Uh, so I was just—that was the main thing that he said that I'm, I guess, would be my takeaway is that they are pretty committed to all of those guys uh, being on the team still. Oh, another one I guess is kind of connected to that is that he thinks that Kyrie Thomas has the most ground to make up. I would not have guessed that. Uh, Wait, you wouldn't have? Well, because, so once again, okay, they traded up to draft Kyrie Thomas last summer, right? And when they drafted him, he was sort of, and I remember this because I remember it from the pieces I wrote about him and Bruce Brown, is that Bruce Brown was seen as sort of the project, right, that's not going to play for a couple of years. And Kyrie Thomas was seen as the more NBA-ready guy who has a better chance to be able to go right away. And it ended up, obviously, Kyrie Thomas ended up basically not playing last year, and Bruce Brown played, you know, he started 50 games, I think. So it ended up being sort of the other way. But one of the main reasons that most people, in fact, I believe that Rod said this last time we had him on the pod even, is that a big reason for Kyrie sort of falling behind is because he got hurt early in the season, or it was in Summer League, actually, that he got hurt, I think, really. But so just because of that, he was sort of a step behind early on, and Bruce kind of got got ahead of him, and then Bruce started to play, and that was sort of it. So I honestly was expecting that, would have expected that Kyrie would have actually been ahead of Bruce, if anything, by the time this next season started. Uh, I actually, I don't know for sure if I've said this officially somewhere, but I was ready to say that I would guess Kyrie is in the rotation this coming season and Bruce isn't. I was at that point, honestly. You're drunk. I'm okay because Kyrie Thomas. Every time, even in the NBA games that he's played, his defense is really impressive. He doesn't have the same size that Bruce does, but I'd say his defensive impact was certainly not that far behind Bruce. He didn't make as many dumb mistakes. He's still very, very strong. He moves well, and his offensive ability, I think, because of the fact that you know he can shoot, is way ahead of Bruce. So I think Bruce started last season out of absolute necessity. I think that as long as the Pistons don't have some bad injury to their wing rotation, at least early in the season next season, um, I think that Bruce, there's a very good chance Bruce is out of the rotation. Honestly. You want to make a bet on that? I wouldn't make a bet on it. I just, I think that there's a good chance that happens. Nah, that, nah Bruce is playing. Okay, if you say so. Let's hope he learns to shoot. <laughs> Joe, you're going to stop pulling my man, Bruce. I like Bruce, too. I like Bruce Brown a lot. I think Kyrie Thomas... Dude, okay, hold up. You're the one who came on this podcast several times last year and were like, Lowe's, I think Kyrie Thomas may be better than Bruce Brown. Right? You said that. I'm wrong. I was wrong. This is the, That's the same basic point I'm making, is that I think there's a good chance Kyrie Thomas is better than Bruce Brown. With another summer for Bruce Brown to develop... I think Bruce is about. I think Bruce is about to take another step forward. I don't think Bruce is ever going to learn to shoot. That's the real issue here. Like, I can't overstate. Bruce Brown is a really bad shooter. I think he's got great potential. I think his potential as a ball handler is really interesting, which could make him a really interesting backup player. Uh, you know, as a sort of creator off the bench, but he has so much work to do on his shot that. I really, I do not have a lot of faith in him figuring out how to be an effective shooter. So, I don't know. We'll see about that. Um, one other thing that 
and if there's something else beyond this you want to talk about, we certainly can. I've got the whole day pretty much, but um, that I want to touch on is so you remember how all season long we talked about, you know, once we get into this off season, those expiring contracts are not going to be that tough to move. So we've already mentioned this on the last podcast that the Pistons trade John Lua for a useful rotation player and a draft pick. And now the one <clears throat> report about Langston's Galloway is definitely falsified, but there were a couple of different guys, just like people from other teams who've tweeted that I've seen in the last couple of days, you know, some smart team would is going to give up like a second round pick or something for Lanks Galloway because he's still an okay player. And I told you earlier in the season that at some point this summer, we're going to get to the end of free agency. Some teams could be looking at their roster and that could be like, man, we could really use another shooter. And Lanks and Galloway is going to start to look attractive. So I just like to reiterate to people, those contracts are not as bad as you think they are. And okay. Well, I have to ask you now, since you brought that up, I have to. Okay. So I mean, you you brought this up at the din- at dinner when we met up, and you brought it up at the end of last year with our podcast. And so now I have to throw the situation right back at you. I need to know what you're going to do. You you said throughout point the you, you said that throughout draft and throughout the free agency that you believe that there could be a team out there who did not get the point guard they wanted or needs a point guard for this year, and you think that's where we could hypothetically get rid of Reggie. After you see how the draft goes. How, how you've seen how the draft went, and free agency isn't here yet, but we've got a couple reports about what the, who the Pistons are interested in, and you know we'll see more on that in like five days, I believe. If if, the, if we get like towards the middle of free agency and towards the end of it, and there's a, there's let's say there's two teams that are interested in Reggie because they didn't get their point guard, they want a point guard, and they want to take a flyer on him. If the Pistons are you are you making that deal if another team's interested in him, even though the Pistons may not have drafted a point guard behind him or may have signed the point guard like Seth Curry or Derrick Rose or someone like that, are you making that trade if a team comes ready for Reggie at the end of free agency? I'm not making that trade. I've been pretty clear that I think that they should not trade and look, obviously everybody has a price. If they get something good back for him, I'd be willing to trade it, obviously, but um, you need a starting point guard. And if a team already has a starting point guard to trade to the Pistons, then why on earth would they be trading for Reggie Jackson, right? It's like the Suns are a team that there's a good chance that they end up needing a point guard, right? Uh, if they don't have a point guard, then the Pistons can't get a starting point guard back for Reggie Jackson, obviously. So Correct. No, I would not be a fan of trading Reggie Jackson this offseason. But we've said this before. The Pistons do not think very highly of Reggie Jackson. Dwayne Casey in particular does not think very highly of Reggie Jackson. And this does remain my biggest fear with this front office this offseason is that I'm still afraid that they're going to trade Reggie Jackson for pennies on the dollar and they're going to sign like, you know, Seth Curry or Derrick Rose or something like that. And they're just like, well, he's going to be our starter now, which that would not be a good thing. And yeah, so... No, I would not make that trade. I would not trade away Reggie Jackson this summer. But I'm just trying to point out that if people are thinking, you know, Langston Galloway might not be a bad idea, guess what? In a few weeks, there's going to be people who are like, I'd take Reggie Jackson for a year. So that's okay, all I'm so, trying to say. So the better, my, uh, the better question is, I, 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 should have asked this, I should have asked it this way. Do you see a future where the Pistons do end up trading Reggie Jackson by the end of next month? Absolutely. 100%. 
Okay, because so do I. And I'm not sure how know, I feel about it. I don't know if they will because... So I know for a fact that they came pretty close to trading Reggie Jackson like three or four different times over the past year or so, okay? And they didn't pull the trigger on any of them. So, like, the issue with the Mike Conley trade was they would not include Luke Kennard in that trade. Uh, the Grizzlies wanted Luke Kennard, and that was the breaking point, okay? Which, good. It, I'm in favor of that. So, I know they've come close to trading Reggie a few different times, and they haven't pulled the trigger because they just weren't quite willing to do it. So, because of that, I have some hope that they may get through this offseason without trading Reggie Jackson for pennies on the dollar. That said there's a very good chance that it happens still because they've come close a couple of times. So, yeah, I don't know for sure that it's going to happen, but there's a good chance that it does. So, yeah, that's what I'd say about it. Nope, same here. I could see it happening. I don't know how I feel about it, though, but it is what it is. I mean, look, if you could somehow do that in such a way that even if you didn't back in the trade, because so... Let's see. I'm doing some quick maths in my head. Uh, hypothetically, so let's just say, all right, so you trade Langston Galloway for like a second or something like that. You don't really take back any salary. And then you trade Reggie Jackson. Then at that point, you would have at least a little bit of actual cap space to work with potentially. So maybe at that point, even if you don't get back a second and get back a starting point guard, maybe then you can sign one. Just... I just don't see a scenario where the Pistons trade Reggie Jackson and come out a better basketball team than they were before. So that's really my main hang-up with it. I struggle to find one. Um, on on the note of trades, by the way, I just want to put this out there. On the T.J. Warren thing, okay? Now, I do not think T.J. Warren is all that good. I don't think he's good enough to warrant as much attention as Pistons fans have given to him. But and not that he's a bad player. He's a fine player, just he's not as good as I think some people think he is, but given the trade that was made, there's no way the Pistons could have traded for him. Clearly the Suns just wanted his his salary off the books, and they wanted to take back no salary at all. They didn't want to take back an ounce of salary, so they just traded him to, to a team who's willing to take him straight into their cap space. So that totally eliminated the Pistons' ability to do so. Uh, I've seen a few people be like, man, why didn't the Pistons do that trade? They literally got him for nothing. The Pistons could not have done that trade, literally. It was impossible, okay? I have no idea why the Suns decided to do that. That seems incredibly stupid to me. Um, once again, I don't think T.J. Warren is all that good. I think he's just okay, but why on earth you didn't get anything back for him seems absurd to me, but because that's what they decided to do, there was no way that the Pistons were even in the conversation for it, just so we're clear about that. Okay. Who is, there, right. anything, is there anything you want to put on here? Uh, there is this, uh, there is something I want to say. Um, I've been, I've been in this, I, I've been more than just a Pistons fan. I, I believe it's been two years now. I've been writing for about them it's like two years. I believe this is my second or third off season. This is probably from, let me just say it like this. I'm very this is probably the most interested summer that I've had strictly because of this. Each one of these we have so many young guys. I believe you said we have like seven or eight guys on rookie contracts. There's outside of Thon, because I've I'm I'm close to being completely out on Thon, but uh like all of these guys in summer league that we're playing with, I've 
I like see something there with all of them. And that's why I asked Rod about it because I know it's, it's not possible for us just to keep all of them. We're not going to be able to keep all the little, all the undrafted free agents. We might not even keep one, but I'm, I'm really interested in all of the all of the uh, rookies and second year players that we have. Bruce, like this summer league is about to be extremely fun to watch. Like we got Bruce and we got Kyrie. You want? I want to see if Bruce uh, has taken another step. Obviously, it's just summer league. I'm not. You can't read too much in it, but obviously, I just want to see if he's been working on anything. Much like how, like a few years ago, Stanley, they wanted Stanley just to strictly go left each time in summer league, just to show uh, to work on it and progress with it. With all that. So we got those two players. And then we got Jordan Bone, who I've become a fan of strictly because of his that little video that happened when he got drafted. I thought that was really cool. And Dumbaya, obviously, I'm, I want to see him do well. Davidis, I've seen that he's just he's just going to spark it. And then two other undrafted free agents, Boatwright and King. I saw that King was on a lot of people's draft board to go like between forty-five, uh, between forty and fifty. I saw some people having them there, so I don't know what happened with him that made him drop out of the draft. But uh, he has some potential there, which I'm assuming why we gave him the two-way because the Pistons must must see the same thing that I'm talking about. And then also, Boatwright is just another person who just has a strap. He just looks like someone that can just go get a bucket, and I feel like those kind of players. Those are the kind of players the Pistons need uh, needed help with last year. Obviously, we can't just expect them to do that. We don't, I don't expect them to make the roster. But once again, it's just going to be fun to watch because I feel like all of these players that the Pistons have brought into Summer League, I see something there that could help the Pistons for each one. I see a future with each one of them that could help the Pistons. I think that's really going to be fun to watch, even though I know that a lot of them probably aren't going to make it. Yeah, I mean – it is kind of interesting that sort of quietly the Pistons have started a little bit of a youth movement. Um, now, Savitas is probably not going to make the roster this season, as we've discussed and Rod has discussed and whatnot. But um, the Pistons could hypothetically, if they wanted to, have eight guys on their rookie contracts this next season, which would be a majority of the roster. So uh, we'll see. The trick, though, is going to be having more than just Luke Kennard of those guys actually be good. Because we don't actually know that any of those guys, other than Luke Kennard, are good. So <laughs> they've got the young guys. Now they need some of those young guys to pan out for sure. So any last thoughts, Coop? Nope, nothing else. All right. So that's going to be it for today. Um, once again, big thanks to Rod for coming on today. Uh, made some time for us, which I'm not sure why he does that. But, hey, we are not going to complain. He likes me more than he likes Joe. So since I'm here, I'm, he doesn't. I'm sure that he does like you more than he likes me. I like you more than I like me. So, Come on, Joe. You know, I mean, every day I think slowly of just walking into Lake Michigan and then continuing to walk with a rock in my hand so I don't float. Every day, that's all I think about <laughs> And yeah, so uh, that's all for today. Stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.